0: Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Sensational Shea Geek, live from Yancey Street. Today is Tuesday the 12th of April, Uh, not Monday because, you know, things happen, life gets messy sometimes, but we're here and we're doing it now. Uh, So happy Tuesday, happy new week to you, I hope the month is going decently. Uh, For the news this week, we actually don't have that much. you know, Multiverse of Madness is coming up, so there's always, like, I feel like every day there's new clips of that. So I've honestly just kind of stopped watching them so that I have something new to see when the movie actually comes out. Um, this, so there's not, too, there's not too much for news, so we have a few little short points uh, to go over there. But we do have a good deal of comic book picks to talk about, the pick of the week, of course, being... Predictably, uh, Historia, which is full title being Wonder Woman, the Amazon's Historia, number two. This was by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Jean Ha in this edition. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, We also have Captain Marvel Annual, number one, Strange, number two, She-Hulk, number three, Alice Ever After, number one, and Black Widow, 15. Uh, For the polls this week, there's a couple of new number ones, which are actually looking at them now. Looks like they are actually all indie comic number ones, the three that I have here. Uh, and then we have a couple of other things to, to go over as we go through uh, the episode, including Bat Cat 11, which will be coming out, uh, well, today. Gosh, it is Tuesday, isn't it? And, of course, we have the Moon Knight Episode 2 rundown going through the episode titled Summon the Suit. All of the comic book references, the theories, all that good stuff, um, going through the events of the episode and finally we're going to wrap it up um, with young justice season four the latest episode which is episode 17 leviathan wakes before we get started with the main episode let's go over the usual opening features of the social social media stuff uh, the first being the newest one, the Discord that we have, the Yancey Street Discord. It's set up for people who have uh, interests uh, that are somewhat similar. You know, we have interests in these kinds of dorky nerdy things. Uh, but you can also talk about literally anything else that you want. You don't have to just talk about nerdy stuff there. Uh, it is by invo- Invoit, Invite Only. Uh, you can message me if you want to get involved. Uh, you can also follow me on my Instagram, Anna with the Comics, or my Twitter, Savage She Geek. My website is geek.weebly.com, which does have highlights on the front page about three female characters who are becoming very relevant in Marvel Comics at the moment slash coming up very soon. And that would be Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, Ileana Rasputin, Mad. And Clea, the new Source of Supreme at Marvel in the 616 universe for Earth, and apparently the Dark Dimension, which we'll talk about more when we get to Strange Number Two in our comic book picks this week. Uh, Other things you can find on my website, again, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, you can find the pod notes. I'm super behind on posting them, but there's a bunch up there, which are for basically reading the podcast. It's the notes that I take throughout the week to cover everything as I record, Um, but I post them there for anybody who wants to read the podcast instead of listening, or for those who are hearing impaired, who would also like to keep up with the podcast. Uh, last, you can find, uh, aside from all of my old writing and things that I was doing before, I kind of transitioned that into being the verbal podcast, uh, you can find links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include most podcast hosting apps. I finally, finally got uh, Spotify figured out. It was, it was a formatting issue, and the formatting has been fixed, so I have re-uploaded all of the episodes that were missing to Spotify. So if you are prefer Spotify... It is fixed, they will be having episodes as usual, just like every other app. Anyway, you can also find uh, the podcast on YouTube, uh, if you prefer that, where I also post action figure review videos. My most recent upload, uh, I have a new one this week, which was Whis from Dragon Ball Super. There seems to be multiple ideas about the pronunciation. So Wiz or Weiss, I don't care. I will understand what you're saying. I hope you understand me too. Um, they did re-release his figure through SH Figure Arts at last um, after him being extremely overpriced in second mar- uh, uh, yeah, aftermarket. So we did get one for box price, which was awesome. And you can see all about Weiss, uh, the action figure on the Sensational She-Geek YouTube page. YouTube channel where I post all kinds of action figure review videos and stuff. Um, I have a tour of the entire action figure collection that I have with my husband which was about a 40 minute long video and then I went back and added 15 more minutes of extras of things that I forgot in that video as an addendum that I posted after the fact. So if you're one of those people who likes to put those videos on and just kind of like see people's collections of things, boom that is there for you and for whatever reason people seem to dig in as the most viewed video on my channel right now. Uh, I do have a podcast Patreon as well. You can find it under Sensational She Geek. It is set up for donations to support the podcast. Um, since I do have a day job, anytime that I spend, uh, not on my day job, for the most part, I spend working on the podcast because I have to, I do the comic book reading. I do the research for the, the special edition podcast, as well as the week to week stuff about like, for example, this week on this one research about the moon night stuff, um, the news, you know, all that stuff. I put a lot of work into that. So that's there, t- uh, to support the podcast. There's never any going to be any interaction from me, Um, in the way of why did you cancel your subscription or why are you not continuing to donate? That's not something that I think sane people do. And I consider myself sane, at least in that aspect. So, uh, the Patreon is there as a, just a fun thing. No pressure, uh, as well as the Kofi, Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal, which I have all linked to the link tree at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, finally, I do have a Redbubble store. It is just she Geek shop. It's got a couple of fun things like a play on the Ford built it's Hulk's Built Tough. Uh, and then, you know, A Woman's Place in the Comic Shop is one that is fairly popular there. So uh, go check that out if you'd like. Again, it is all under she Geek Shop. Now the news, as I said before, is going to be a fairly short segment because I either have been missing things like crazy or there just hasn't been too much news that I have been uh, seeing on my radar. Again, I did mention before, um, you know, Multiverse of Madness is in less than a month. So there's always going to be new clips and um, stuff coming out from that, which I've honestly stopped watching because I want to see some footage in the movie that I haven't seen before. Uh, exaggeration, I know, but hopefully you get the point there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not going to be going over every single little clip that they put out before that movie, and, and same will be for Love and Thunder when that eventually comes. However, we do have a bit of news about Love and Thunder. Um, I believe it is through leaks, Um, that we're seeing the toy photos of characters from the movie. Um, notably, you know, is Jane Foster Thor, of course, who they have listed as the mighty Thor. You have Thor, um, let's see what they call him. They call him Ravager Thor. And then you had, which is Thor just in his, like, when he hangs up with the Guardians, that suit. You have Star-Lord, which honestly this movie could definitely do without. Um, (laughs) and then you have, uh... Just Thor, which is what looks like their take on the Eric Masterson uh, Thunderstrike Thor, um, which is interesting because based on these photos, unsure if that is Odin's son. Um, if that is not Odin's son, I feel like that's a, a pretty big possibility that this is a additional Thor we might be seeing in the movie. Eh! It's a kind of stretch of a theory, just because we have no reason to think that uh, there we it would make more sense, honestly, that the MCU would have Odinson dress as the Masterson uh, 90s Thor, as that was when he Masterson Eric Masterson was Thor. So it's probably just son, but it's things to think about. Notably, um gore. The God Butcher, who is being played by Christian Bale, uh, was also among those toy leak photos, if, if they are leaks um, and not just previews. I imagine they must be leaks because we haven't even seen a trailer for this yet um but anyway gore looks not so great <laughs> you get a lot of dude bros i'm sorry but that's the description i'm gonna have to give them because it's what they are on twitter who are becoming very dispensive of not the character necessarily but of christian bale in particular um which is kind of funny that's that's not the issue necessarily here uh if you haven't seen it gore what they have as a, on the figure, um, it looks like a pale and crusty, crusty-eyed Christian Bale, pretty much. Uh, gray-skinned Christian Bale. Very pale, gray-skinned Christian Bale. With extremely crusty uh, T-area. We'll call it the T-zone there, you know, on the face. <laughs> um, whereas in the comics, he looks kind of like that, but extremely more alien. The face is a bit Voldemort-like, um, just a touch. And then you have... It's not really tentacle hair. Let me look this up really quick. Let me refresh my memory. Gore the God Butcher. Um, it's not really tentacle hair. It is kind of tentacles. It's like two... Is it just two little strands? It's a very alien-like face, and it's like some kind of weird Twi'lek-type tentacle situation around the head. Um, which is not what they appear to have coming in the MCU. Um, I'm actually, as I'm on Google right now, I'm seeing what appears to be a leaked image of him. One thing that Gore's outfit usually has is, um, like a, like a hood. Whether or not he has other clothes on, he has a hood for some reason. (laughs) Um, and it does look like in this one really grainy leaked foot. Oh, there's a better version of it. Um, from the Daily Mail. Fuck the Daily Mail. But, um... It looks like they have him in some kind of, like, it's got the head wrap, but it's all it's all a white outfit, so he looks a bit Messiah-like. <laughs> Which is kind of odd. Odd choice. Maybe that's the direction they're going with him, though. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, my theory on why they made this physical change for gore for the movie, obviously being they want to be able to show Christian Bale's face slash he wants to show his face, you know, Which, whichever person it was that made the decision. It's because of Christian Bale <laughs> um, is the the obvious explanation for that. Some people on the internet were saying, oh, he's going to transform into that because blah, blah, blah. I Maybe, I, maybe, but then why would they not have that on the, the action figure? But whatever. Um, those are the love and thunder leaks that we have. Nothing too exciting, just a bit of nitpicking about uh, the apparent villain. We also have one week ish until the Batman is on HBO max, I guess it's on the 18th. I think I said the 19th. I had to correct myself several times over, but, um, I think it's on the 18th is when it comes out. So you've got about a week ish until it's next Monday, right? Checking the calendar next Monday. Uh, so super exciting stuff. It'll also be out to own at that point on digital, if not physical copies. Um, so you can also just buy it and have it for yourself. I don't even know if you can download stuff that you buy digitally these days, or do you have to stream it. The world has changed, but one week till the Batman is on HBO Max. Uh, Another little tiny bit of news here. Uh, Charlize Theron has apparently been tapped to produce an adaption of the Jackson Hyde graphic novel, which is entitled You Brought Me the Ocean. There really isn't too much to add to this news. There's no casting, no anything like that. Um, But however, Jackson Hyde is a queer DC character. He's also a queer DC character of color. And they're giving him a TV series. Again, Warner Brothers, what is it with you giving all your characters of color TV and giving your white characters movies? I'm sure there's exceptions, but... It's, a, it's like a known thing that Warner has this issue. Here's another one. Uh, but that's something that i look forward to. Charlize Theron, um, you know, she was also being rumored to be Clea um, in the Multiverse of Madness. However, this having come out makes me think that she probably opted for this over Clea or Clea is not going to have a noteworthy role. So not really happy with that either way. Um, Let's see, other news that we have this week is that uh, The Secret Origin of Thor is apparently coming to the Avengers comic in July of this year. We should be able to have the solicitations for both Marvel and DC up by this coming week if you want to hear about what's coming out in July, big two comics. Um, This is going to be, again, Jason Aaron's Thor series, and it's going to be linking Thor's birth, uh, or rather his mother, to the Phoenix Force. Now, I had this theory for a while. It's not really a theory, it's kind of obvious. Jason Aaron and Donny Cates seem to have been in this weird little battle with Thor, where Jason Aaron um, seemed to really want Phoenix, the Phoenix Force in general, to be the entity that is Thor's mother. And Donny Cates wanted Gaia to be Thor's mother. He actually kind of confirmed that more or less in a recent Thor issue. Uh, And now here we have Jason Aaron, snapping back I guess with uh what he's calling Thor's real mother uh maternal parentage of the Phoenix Force I, I, I could have sworn Donnie Cates made a canon that Gaia was his mother but I guess Jason Aaron won this one and Marvel is now um advertising this to be the new origin the official origin story of Thor so congratulations Jason Aaron I guess um his adventure series has been incredibly hated by fans myself included for great chunks of it um maybe this will save it or maybe this will just be another massive disappointment the last bit of news that i have this week i told you was a short news segment um as actually came out this morning oh i guess this was yesterday jk came out yesterday uh regarding the ironheart tv show um, we believe that it is a TV show that will be coming on Disney Plus. In any case, the news is that Ryan Coogler will actually be serving as executive producer on the show, um, which is really awesome. Ryan Coogler, if you are unfamiliar, is the, I believe, writer director of Black Panther and of course the the upcoming sequel. Um, he had a very close relationship with Chadwick Boseman. I I I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but I believe that they were roommates in college, or some—it was another guy who was roommates with him. In any case, um, they were very close. And of course, with Chadwick Boseman's passing, there's been a lot of changes to, I'm sure, Kugler's plans. But seeing that he is on board with Ironheart makes me very hopeful for that show's success and for the amount of effort that they are going to be putting into its production. Because that can only mean good things for the representation of that character. Moving on from the news into the comic book picks for the week, again, pick of the week, which I will expand the most on, is going to be Wonder Woman the Amazon's Historia Number no. 2, aka Historia Number no. 2, by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Jean Ha. We also have fairly long-ish descriptions of Captain Marvel Annual Number no. 1 and Strange Number no. 2, which I have a good bit to say about um, a couple of different things, including Clea's role as Sorcerer Supreme in the Dark Dimension um, and her parentage. It's the whole thing. We'll get there when we get there. Um, and then we have some some brief stuff about She Hulk number no. three and Alice Ever After number no. one, as well as Black Number no. number fifteen. All three of which were really good issues. Um, very f- actually, now that I look at these, these are all very female forward. So go us. Um, and I'm really excited to tell you about all these. I hope that you're at least keeping up with Historia because that is, you know the um when batman i don't whatever the series was where batman showed in a panel and a half you know his chode his 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 chub um <laughs> uh, and, and the drama that happened over that i was kicking off dc black label um shoot I mean, i'm kicking myself for not being able to remember off the top of my head what that series was called the three issues you know was the ton of drama about it um the amount of like attention that that got was so unnecessary for what was the product. This, however, Historia deserves that amount of attention. Uh, again, this is Kelly Sue DeConnick and Gene Ha. Um, in the last issue, uh, the last issue had art by iconic DC artist Phil Jimenez, which was incredible um and then we have a another one the third issue which was the third of three unfortunately only three but they are quite long um that is coming out in a couple of months i believe and that is going to have art by nicholas scott um so three really great issues with three fantastic artists um it, 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 it's a great way to start and then you add kelly pseudiconics it's been years of them planning this series um and it shows. It's just it really, you know how uh, Adventure Man has the series 10 years in the making? Does not, does not feel like it. This feels like it's a series 10 years in the making, even with just the three issues that we're getting. Anyway, uh, the issue here is story number two begins by thanking the goddesses, which I could go on into how, why it's a really cool thing that Kelly Sue DeConnick put in there. To, to briefly summarize, um, she is a part of the creative's In comics, who um, seem to be tapped into a bit of let's call it spiritual um, spirituality in their life, and it's something that this metaphysical stuff I've mentioned it before has become. Trendy. I hate that I'm saying trendy, but it has become trendy. It's it's a thing that people are becoming more interested in. It's people are are having an awakening, you might say, um, to that kind of stuff and becoming a lot more open to it, being a lot more involved in it. And so her opening up with this thinking of the goddesses, which is very much a, it, it is very much a pagan thing. Um, that paganism meaning anything that is outside of the, um, the main three, you know, uh. Uh, abrahamic religious traditions um and so that was really cool that she she tied that in there a for the for those who are involved with that because uh, the wonder woman the amazons is heavily tied in with all of that um, that kind of history. And it is cool because of the people who are becoming interested in it because it is kind of this, this movement um, that people are becoming more interested in. I hope that made sense. <laughs> uh, point being, it was pretty cool that she stuck in the, the beginning of the thinking of the goddesses because um, it's, it's just culturally relevant to the Amazons as well as to, in a way, the, uh, the desired audience of this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, anyway, really cool stuff, uh, begin by thinking of the goddesses, and we catch up with Hippolyta as we had left off with her in the previous issue. She is now searching for the Amazons after having been saved by them, and at last, after a long time, Artemis finds her. Now, the the depiction of Artemis in Historia is very young. She is, like, a teenager, possibly younger, um, but she has- this very slim frame and a very wild look. She wears horns on her head. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a crown or if they're actually growing out of her, but that is not her true form. We actually got to see her true form in one panel or a version of it, which was sick. It was like a like a double-bodied centaur deer, but with an actual deer head. Um, and then later on you see it and it's like a wolf head. Super cool. Um, and of course, uh, very relevant to what Artemis, who Artemis is traditionally and what she's all about. Um, which, again, the work that Jimenez put into designing all of the character designs and the aesthetics. To get off track for a little bit, again, um, Uh, This is just 30 30 Amazons. That is how many Amazons Phil Jimenez individually created in the first issue. And that includes designs, (laughs) um, which are split into six categories of five Amazons, right? 30. Um, And so of those six categories, each belongs to one goddess who has in herself her own aesthetic look. For example, let's talk about Hecate. Hecate being traditionally this dark figure. um, Hecate is covered in spikes, and she has multiple heads, and um, because she's involved with the dead, and darkness, and all this stuff, crossroads. Um, And so all all of the Amazons, the five Amazons who are in Hecate's tribe, they all have designs of their own that are Based off of her own physical design and aesthetic. Um, And they are all, all five of them are clearly based off of Hecate, but they are from each other individual. So you can differentiate them very clearly. They also all look close enough to the other, let's see, 25 Amazons that they look like a group still. 30, six categories to make up 30. It, it, is, it blows my mind the creative genius that Jimenez put into that first issue. And apparently, um, Kelly Sudokonik was being interviewed about that specifically at one point, and she said that she had asked him to make only a couple of Amazons, and he came back to her with 30. Oh, the admiration I have, I cannot describe. Okay. Getting back on track here. (laughs) Um, so getting back into the story, right? So Artemis has found Hippolyta. Um, she shows her her true form. It's really cool. Uh, meanwhile on Olympus, Hera is watching and Athena asks for assistance with the situation to get Artemis to kind of back off and leave Hippolyta alone and let her go off on her own. Um, However, they end up agreeing that Zeus is eventually bound to find out the Amazons exist and take his retribution, but Athena wants to see, oh, sorry, it's Hera wants to see the longest time possible until then. Um, Hera, who has the powers of foresight, she sees no justice for women, no matter how long they try, and that's why she's not joining up, that's at least one reason why she's not joining up with the other goddesses in their whole Amazon thing they're doing. So back with, back with, um, excuse me, back with Hippolyta and Artemis, um, Artemis ends up giving Hera, or sorry, Hippolyta, uh, I had that backwards, Hippolyta ends up getting Artemis her horse because Artemis is the ruler of wild things, right? Um, And in return, Artemis gives her the directions for having the Amazons find her. It's not the directions to find the Amazons, it's directions to get it so that, they find her so she tracks down this group of slavers um and she watches that night as the amazons arrive of course and destroy them and they go to leave the women who they save from the slavers behind hippolyta uh she cries out for them to return once they kind of disappear off into the darkness demanding that they let all of the women in the group and herself join the amazons it takes a fair amount of um, convincing from, uh, from Hippolyta to Antiope, who is, of course, leading this mission. Uh, but eventually Antiope does accept them, accepts her as well as the others, and, uh, it's a really nice, it's a nice thing, little thing that Hippolyta says if you want to go through and read it, I definitely recommend you read this entire thing. Um, And then there's one line that I wrote that was really nice. Um, The narration writes that Hippolyta became an Amazon when she remembered who she was already. Very nice, um, poetic little line there. Um, And when when the women ask Antiope where the Amazons go during the day, because they spend their whole time out at night when Artemis of the moon can protect them, um... So when they're when they're not traveling, where do you go during the day, right? Uh, and and Antiope says that it depends on the tribe. So the six tribes go to different places to spend the day uh, to rest. So you have first you have the wild, who is the tribe of Artemis. So they go to the forests. You have the grove, the tri- grove, the tribe of Demeter, who go to the orchards. You have the loam of Hecate who go to the tombs, the grotto of Aphrodite to rivers, the embers of Hesia to volcanoes and pyres, and finally the citadel of Athena who sleep like statues. Really cool pages of descriptions of that as well. Uh, then you have Io, who is physically bathed in flames. It is awesome. She is the daughter, or a daughter, of Hestia. Daughter meaning one of the Amazons of Hestia. She shows up and addresses them, and then the other queens of the six tribes come out to join her, asking why all these human women have come here with Antiope. who manages to convince them that, yes, it can be done. These mortal women, too, can become Amazons. Hippolyta proposes that they create a seventh tribe of their own in instead of joining, splitting up and joining the six tribes. And then the, the seventh tribe, having been founded now, votes in Hippolyta as their queen. They know that they are mortals, and as mortals they will die in this venture, but they say that it matters more so how they live. And that is, of course, traditionally one of the excellent things, most admirable things about Amazons. The training begins then covering all manner of subjects that they will need to survive and to be useful as Amazons. At night, one of the seventh, uh, the the mortal tribe joins the other Amazons for the first time in saving a group of women who have been stolen to be sold as slaves. When the last slaver standing, a very young son of one of the grown men, tries to kill one of the girls and the seventh woman defends herself equally, she is stopped by another Amazon. They basically tell her this is not how we do it, he's a child, give him a chance to be better, and if he's not, we'll come across him again as a man and we'll kill him then. So they go back to the base which is um, like these kind of stone ruins and we see that in the morning you would never even have known that all these tribes of women were sleeping all around the area. And then we catch up with the boy who was now orphaned and he goes through a market stealing sausages and runs off when he gets caught, running to the sacred temple of Apollo where he is caught by the emissary of the mortal seventh tribe of Amazons who is still angry at him for having been part of the slavers and she slaughters him there inside Apollo's temple during the day. Of course, that is perfect conditions for the sun god himself to witness this and he brings this knowledge of what he's seen to Zeus. Since she had killed the boy during daylight, Artemis couldn't protect or hide their existence anymore. And book two ends with Zeus deciding that the Amazons need to be taught a lesson. They will suffer for their crimes, as he calls them, to men. And he unleashes Ares. Um, Ares is an interesting character, depending on the de- on the uh, depiction, um, because he can be anything from a helpful brother figure to just an absolute madman, whiny baby child. So I'm very curious to see how Kelly Sue is going to be depicting him um, how she's going to be writing him, and what the fallout of this uh, murder of the young boy in the Temple of Apollo is going to be across all of the Amazons. The other issue that I had a bit of an extended discussion planned about was Strange Number Two, which is, of course, Uh, Clea, the new Sorcerer Supreme's first solo series, as she takes up the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth's mantle. The mantle of the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth? You know what I mean. Um, This was a really good issue for the most part. I'm still very confused about the art because it's sometimes really great and sometimes terrible. Um, but whatever. It's not like I could do better. Uh, pretty good issue. I like what Jed McKay is doing for the most part. They're bringing in a, plenty of information about her family, her lineage, blah, blah, blah. But I do have to say, again, I am further concerned than I was before. Uh, this issue started with Clea narrating, basically, about how the two sources of supreme powers within her are battling it out, so to say, and if she lost control, meaning basically to her faultine side, she would be as bad as, if not worse, of a villain than Normamu. Which does make sense for the most part, because the power level of a Sorcerer Supreme, you know, it shouldn't be duplicated in one body. That's, okay, I get it, that kind of makes sense. Um... And on that note, I still haven't found where or when Clea became the dark dimension source supreme. That being the whole issue is she's the source supreme of both the dark dimension and Earth. I haven't figured out why the dark dimension though because last i was unaware she was on the run from dormammu and or living in the purple dimension as a place to hole up death of dr strange just kind of mentioned all randomly that she was the dark dimension source of supreme without an explanation so when did that happen was it something with just dormammu that i missed after her initial stint as sorceress Supreme there, back in like the, the 90s, after defeating the ruling Umar, her mother, she spent literal decades, decades fighting Dormammu until her army was entirely depleted and she had to flee her homeland for good. So we thought. So So how did she win it back and why wasn't it made the big deal that it totally is? We're talking decades of fighting here. And she wins it out over to her mommy. Why? Where? When did that happen? In any case, the story, you know, goes through, and then we see the end of the story, which has Clea basically um, snapping a little bit. And she fully fa- powers up in her, like, faultine form, and uh, it's honestly super badass. And I would have been saying, you know, yes, bitch, get it, fuck him up except for that beginning cuz I'd love I love to see, you know, a queen let loose her power on some fools but with that opening of how the powers within her can make her go crazy um i i really really fear that they're gonna have her go you know evil so to say until someone has to stop her probably stephen um and she then falls back into the same position that she's been in in the past few years which is vague and unimportant to be honest um and i worry about this because there, there is honestly a very big trope of female characters being put through this kind of thing And then it ends in their total condemnation. I mean, look at Scarlet Witch. Uh, While oftentimes male characters are allowed to lose it briefly and then are forgiven after everything goes back to normal and it's all good. We call this Queen of Fables Syndrome when this happens to women where they become too overpowered that, you know, people just take issue with it and she has to get taken down a notch. Steven's super over, overpowered. He's got tons of overpowering. Like, he's never had to get taken down a notch. Whatever. Uh, other than that concern, I, I, really did en- I really did enjoy them expanding on her family history, her powers, her power levels, blah, blah, blah. I just, I do not like that she's very clearly going to be, tra- be portrayed as having had lost it. Um, and then likely be shamed out of her positions of power and or influence. So... I guess it's just kind of got to get used to that. That's just how comics are for women. (laughs) It's not an excuse. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Captain Marvel annual number one. This is by Torin Grombeck, who I'm very curious to see if they're going to be making her the uh, ongoing Captain Marvel uh, writer at some point coming up. Or if this truly was just a one shot that they threw for her. This annual saw the return of two really uh, well-connected Captain Marvel characters, one being from her days as Binary, the Starjammers, and one being from, I believe, the 2016 run where they caught up with the legacy numbering, uh, the character known only as Bean. Um, She's from that previous run. She is a child from Hala, who at the time when we first met her was being hunted down and Carol ended up saving her and taking a liking to her, of course. In this annual, she is being chased down by these evil folks who have nefarious plans for her, apparently, when all she wants is to get back to her family. The other children um, that she says were also saved from hollow is what she's talking about with family. They apparently were all taken to a care site somewhere in space, um, which then Bean had left to protect them because she was being followed basically. Um, in the issue, Carol and the Starjammers basically end up having to trick the encro- encroaching villains into thinking that Bean was killed in an explosion, but really Carol whisked her off through open space at the last moment. In truth, Carol um, knows that Bean should have died from being exposed to space for that amount of time, but she ends up being fine after recovering. And then when we get her to the facility where she says the other children are, the mystery deepens uh, as it turns out that they are all her. All of the children are Bean. Um, There's many, many, many of them. They seem to duplicate when they're excited. Um, They seem to share memories. Uh, But many of them are much younger, but they all seem to be Bean in some way. Uh, The the caretaker who is watching over them there, she seems to be legit. Hopefully won't be an issue. Uh, And she tells Carol that she isn't even sure what Bean is, but she's going to keep taking care of them and studying them. So nice little ending. I really hope that we see more of that before too long, because I had completely forgotten about that character, that whole arc. Of captain marvel during that time which frankly i was not super into the alpha flight stuff i like that she was the boss of space but i'm just not not big into backstabbing teammates and stuff and that's what a lot of that was going on so uh good to see bean again hopefully we'll catch up with her and her selves <laughs> before too long she hulk number three was an awesome uh awesome issue it was she got some returns of some really cool characters such as awesome andy who works in the law office that jen works at and patsy walker who comes in towards the end of the issue Uh, most of the issue is spent with jen trying to get new clients uh, but she is trying to avoid superhero clients which is what her boss has asked her to do and um, it seems that any, the only people who want her as a lawyer are her superhero friends. I also want to mention that in this issue, she does say straight up that she is seven feet tall. Uh, so I call bullshit on them making her a six foot five person in the show. That's not accurate. Um, no, I, that show is just gonna make me so mad. Ugh. um, on the Jack side of things... They know that something's up with his powers, but not necessarily what. We have yet to go very far on that mystery. Uh, but the thing with Patsy was really fun. She's, she calls Patsy to ask about what she knows about Jack of Hearts. And they up talking about him uh, most unsurprisingly, most of what Patsy remembers about him has to do with his looks and him being cute and him being a prince or something like that um so that's fun and they do briefly mention how Patsy is currently dating Tony and She-Hulk apparently doesn't approve um really really hoping that they do not get engaged for any amount of time Patsy and Tony because that is coming up he's gonna ask her to marry him even though she just asked him that she need to you know stay away for a while because he just tried to kill all of their friends I mean he did kill them but Go check out the Iron Man series for all that BS. But anyway, I love Patsy Walker, uh, and so it was nice to see her and her actual comic BFF, She Hulk, hanging out here. Alice Ever After number one is of course an indie comic. This is by Dan Panosian with art by Giorgio Sp- Spaietta, possibly is how you say that. And Panosian also does some drawing in the issue as well. Um, this is of course a take on Alice and Wonder Alice in Wonderland. Um, and this is picking up with adult Alice living with her father and her two sisters. The story is more or less told by her cats, Snowdrop and Kitty, as she goes about her day. She is probably ludicrously insane. Uh, there is a man named Earl who helps her out of a sticky situation at a local emporium when he catch- when she is low-key caught stealing, uh, before a street rat who is apparently her BFF called Morton interrupts and uh runs off with her so he apparently gets her her pills which take her to wonderland and she like i don't know if they knock her out i think they knock her out and she wakes up in wonderland but it's all the characters um in wonderland are similarly like um like wizard of oz they're based on people in her apparent reality like morton he talks like the white rabbit Um, Earl shows up to the tea party in Wonderland, and then it gets actually interrupted at that point, and her father and her sisters, uh, knock on the door and wake her up. Um, there's definitely some weird stuff going on about reality here. Um... She sneaks out that night because she wants to help Morton steal more pills, because she's desperate, uh, but he has her hide. And it's a good thing that he does, too, because the guys that he ends up meeting up with stab him and kill him. At the end of the issue, her family decides to have her committed, and they go off and find her that she has actually run off again. But to their surprise, she has run off to commit herself. Um... The Queen of Hearts also is the one who runs the facility, um, so I'm very curious what, you know, there's the whole, like, which, which, it's like, what's Moon Knight, kind of, which which reality is real? Is it, is it her wonderland, or is it reality? I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out. Dan Panosian does really well with these kinds of uh, freaky mysteries, so it's good. Last issue we're going to talk about is Black Widow number 15. Um, this is by Kelly Thompson with art by Elena Casagrande, as usual. In the last issue, Black Widow's arm got chopped off, and in this issue, her arm gets reattached by a kid who has regenerative powers, so good for her. They discover that Apogee, who they thought was the villain behind all of this, is actually a victim in the situation. Uh, so they uh, rescue him, I guess. And um, you you get, in the end, basically, it's the end of the arc, so it's, it's, it's a nice little ending of... Uh, uh, Natasha and all of her friends that she didn't have last time that she faced this guy face him all together and then make him go on the run so he'll be back but uh, for the time being they've beaten him for the first time in her life and you get a nice little bit about Stevie and James who are her family um, from this beginning of the series who I, I still think are going to end up being relevant before we get too much further down the line. Which brings us to the comic book polls for the week. For DC Comics, they are coming out today, the 12th. For everything else, they're coming out tomorrow, the 13th of April. Starting off with the number ones and their solicitations. We begin with Breakout number 1 from Dark Horse Comics by Zach Kaplan and Wilton Santos. It says when massive cube spaceships from another dimension materialize over our cities and routinely abduct teenagers to be held inside their mysterious floating prisons, Liam Watts watts younger brother tommy is taken but while governments and adults across the world accept this loss as inevitable liam refuses to give up hope now in a take back our future anthem liam assembles a skilled team of ordinary high school students to risk it all but they but can they pull off the impossible and succeed in an out of this world prison break join the crew and unlock a sci-fi adventure like no other by rising comic star zach Kaplan and kinetic art buzzing with life drawn by will Wilton. St- Santos, who apparently uh, did a lot of Donovec stuff, and colored by Jason Wardy. Again, that is from Dark Horse. We have Dark Beach number one coming from Behemoth Comics by Michael Ruiz Unger and Sebastian Perez, which is one of two Sebastian Perez comics out this week, which is kind of funny. What it says about this one Earth has been drifting away from the sun for 300 years, but that doesn't stop Gordo, a crime scene photographer living inside the dome-protected city of New Reykjavik, from dreaming about its warm glow. Is the sun as dangerous as the NRCE, the New Reykjavik Corps of Engineers? Has led everyone to believe, or will a murder rifle with old sun mystery throw Gordo down a rabbit hole? to find the truth well murder oh murder rife with old son mystery okay i've read that wrong throw gordon down a rabbit hole to find the truth again from behemoth and the last number one we have this week is midnight rose number one from aftershock comics by jim starlin and nicole jelinek or possibly yellenick uh, it says join the legendary jim starlin and nicole yellenick on a journey through the life of a singular, frightening, very human creature, Midnight Rose. After a particular after particularly bizarre oh, it is a particular, sorry, bizarre tale of loneliness, love, and what happens when you can't help but give in to the vengeance growing deep within yourself. Other comics coming out this week includes Captain Carter, number two, by Jamie McKelvey and Marika Cresta, We Ride Titans, number three from Vault Comics by Tristine and Sebastian Perez. Rain, number four, from Image Comics, by Joe Hill, David M. Boer, and Zoe Thoroughgood. Black Panther, number five, by John Ridley, Stefano Landini, and Juan Cabal. Daisy, number five of five, by Colin Lorimore from Dark Horse Comics. Eternals, number 11, by Kieran Gillen and Guigui. Oh, wow, I definitely said that wrong. Guiyu, Guiyu Villanova. Sorry, that was terrible. And finally, Batman Catwoman number 11, uh, which is chapter 11 of 12, titled It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. This is by Tom Keen and Clay Mann. Um, and I'm just gonna, gonna read the thing because there's a couple of lines. It says, after barely escaping with one of her nine lives, Selina arrives at a crossroads. She can either continue on the path of a criminal or take a chance at being a hero like Batman. There's just one thing she has to do, make a vow never to kill the Joker. But what could lead her to break that sacred promise five years later? Oh, sorry, just years later. I don't know where I got five from. Find out in the penultimate issue of this critically acclaimed Maxi series. All right. And that leads us into Moon Knight, Episode 2, which premiered on Disney Plus this past Wednesday. We have Episode 3 will be premiering tomorrow the 13th. Um, I'm going less through event by event of this episode and more just through the noteworthy points of things that I took away in explaining each of of them. So we're going to start with the character of Layla. Layla has pretty much been confirmed at this point to be Marlene from the comics, aka Marlene Mark Spector's wife. She is already his wife here at this point here in the show, as he mentions, or rather, I think she mentions. Uh, Mark apparently ghosted her, his own wife, to protect her. That is a little bit annoying, as you can tell from Layla's reactions to him, and she seems to be able to take care of herself pretty well which is also part of the problem because the reason that mark sees her as needing protection is because Konshu is eyeing her for the role of his next avatar as mark is not quite to his liking and he has further issues of the did or whatever it is in this version of the story so khonshu has that threat to hold over mark's head that if mark doesn't do as Konshu wants, he'll just take layla as his next avatar which brings up its own questions because i thought that the host of a uh, deity had to be willing i thought that's what i mean that's the way that it always was in the comics and stuff so she had to agree to do it so if she's not willing you know why would any of that matter well it's possible there's another catch uh also there has not been a female comic book moon knight and after hearing them kind of toy with that idea on episode two here it really really makes me think that we'll be seeing that by the end of this season at the latest for whatever amount of time. Um, I'm not going to lie here, but I would dig the shit out of that. And not just because I saw a killer Sailor Moon Moon Knight crossover art that I would just love to see a female Moon Knight costume designed after. It's a stretch, but a girl can dream, okay? Um, there's also one thing that uh, let's, Layla says in episode two, Mark. She says, is this Steven the latest fake identity for you? that comment suggests that a she does not know or understand about whatever his did situation is with steven and b he has a history of fake identities most likely just from his life as a mercenary which based on the way that she says that she may or may not agree with the scarab that we've been discussing over the past well episode uh, that scarab points to the location of amit's tomb it turns out so she may be resurrected or whatever uh, and we actually know that actress sophia danu is meant to appear in Moon Knight as amit in whatever form that may be most likely um in the form that dr Emmett, um from the comics appeared as amit to mark in a dream i believe uh which was basically just like a like a nice business suit with the crocodile head um, and Harrow does ending up he does end up getting a hold of the scarab by the end of the episode, so we will likely see him arriving at Amit's tomb at the very least in this week's episode three. He gets the scarab when Layla brings it to him, uh, to his little like club meeting or whatever with Mark, uh, presumably using it to free Mark, um, uh, much to Konshu's chagrin. And then we see at one point in the episode, Mark's mercenary storage facility... Um, The storage unit that Stephen finds the key for in his apartment leads to this facility's unit number 043, which is not a relevant number, but the QR code on the door leads to the uh, Moon Knight's second appearance comic download, which is Werewolf by Night number 33. The storage unit is filled with all kinds of things that a mercenary would need for their jobs, as well as a cot that Mark seems to have set up for Stephen to lay down and go to sleep, thus handing himself over... Um, to Mark's control. And as a little fun fact, the ID that that Stephen pulls from one of the bags is Mark's passport, listening, uh, listing Chicago as his home, which is comic accurate. The Mr. Knight character in the show seems to be brought on by Layla and Mark, insisting to Stephen that he, quote, summon the suit, the title of the episode, but he doesn't quite understand that since he has yet to be conscious With the Moon Knight slash Mark persona in charge. So he tries to do as they say in his mind, thinking a suit. This is the kind of suit that he's picturing, of course. Uh, Why would he think that it's a super suit? (laughs) And so that's what ends up popping up. A suit, but just under the kind of Moon Knight aesthetic. In the comics mr knight is just another uh, moon knight persona basically uh, one that is more on the detective end of the spectrum a lot of fanboys are very mad about how this uh how, how much more comedic this version of the character is because they and others think that it's comparable to deadpool which i would disagree but it's no point getting into that uh, a lot of fans are saying that it leaned too hard on goofy theatrics Um, But really, I I think it was mostly a genuine reaction to finding yourself in that situation. How would how would you react to those powers and the madness of all that comes with being a Moon Knight and finding out you have another person living in your head? It's a bit it's a bit much. (laughs) We also see the Mr. Knight character pull out two nightsticks. Um, and they're apparently called Night Sticks. I would have thought them in something else, but apparently not. He pulls out two Night Sticks, uh, which are accurate weaponry that he uses in the Moon Knight persona in the comics. The fight that we see between... Not fight between, but the, the kind of, like, cold war going on between Harrow and Conchu seems to be based in just a morality issue, like, which morality is better, and it, it does feel pretty petty, to be honest. It feels like... It feels very he said, she said, and I can't help but feel that Haro is taking extra liberties with his powers before Amit shows up. If it even is true that she wants to, or it could be that he's making that up as well. Um, to explain that further, Haro was the avatar of Konchu previously, but he wanted to stop evildoers before they had a chance to cause harm. Since that's not how Konchu rolls, he ended up being kicked out of the role of Moon Knight... Uh, presumably Moon Knight at least and is striving to be now the avatar of Amit who he claims which is to punish the living for crimes before they occur same as he does. It hasn't been clarified yet how he got the power of Amit that he does have which he says is only a small portion of her power Um, it's the, also the mentioning of killing people before they commit crimes that also loses Steven from Harrow's side of things as well. He was willingly going with Harrow and then he hears that and, oh, just kidding, bro, you're crazy, you know? Um, it's a bit like Minority Report and Civil War 2 as, well, did I say Minority Report? I don't know if I said that right, but that's what I meant. Speaking of the power that Harrow has, he uses the purple stones on the staff of Amit that he has to power up his avatar-ish. Notably, his followers seem to greatly fear that power as they immediately back away from him when he merely begins to mention using it. The power is purple in color, which is the same color as the space stone and the magic of Agatha Harkness and likely others. Do I think that matters? Probably not. No, uh, the ugliness between Hero and Konchu seems to stem from him not following Kanchu's wishes and being apparently kicked out as his avatar. Hero claims that Konchu is an overcontrolling god to his avatars, abusing and overusing them, fueled by false promises of freedom. Mark even says he has the name of Moon Knight because he owes Konshu his life, so it is the work of a debt, not a life's passion which is in itself fairly accurate to the comics there. The episode ends with Mark taking control of the body, their body, and Stephen being stuck awake for the first time in his own head and not in control, which they both describe as being incredibly uncomfortable, a way of living that takes massive concentration to keep up. So it's miserable, and other lines from the show make it seem like Mark has maybe been able to shut out the steven identity from his mind for most of their life but potentially um which is what was able to keep them from all of this pain And, you know, it's pain and suffering, I guess, until now. Um, The Moon Knight suit does look awesome, of course. Um, And he takes the moon-shaped blades off of that center moon design, which it looks like they're all just kind of very thin blades stacked up there, which is pretty neat. So he can just grab them off his chest as he needs them. And then we finally wrap things up in the episode with Mark taking them to Egypt, them being the body, uh, which is apparently where the next phase of the fight is going to take place. And that obviously makes sense, as they're likely following Harrow to Amit's tomb or racing him to Amit's tomb. Layla was not present there when he woke up, but she is likely not too far away. She is very much involved at this point. There wasn't too many points in this episode to bring up the questionable... A uh, reality situation as of this what is real and what is awake and what is not um the only thing that really seemed to be there uh causing reality to be questioned greatly was uh that arthur and uh others were not on the security footage of um steven running away from them the night before in the um in the museum which of course he got fired from for destroying parts of uh the jackal obviously wasn't on the um wasn't on the screen because it seems that the only people who can see those are the avatar of Konshu possibly uh because you know Layla cannot see it either um as for why harrow wasn't on the footage that's in my mind brings up a bit about the questionable reality stuff um I read some articles that wrote all kinds of excuses and tried to say, oh, but yeah, Marvel messed up by doing that. They did mess up. I feel like that's going to definitely be relevant in one way or another. We're just way too early <laughs> to make any solid conclusions on how it's going to be relevant. What what reality is, is we're, we're a little bit too early on... Um, making any, like, serious calls about that. So, episode three is going to be tomorrow, the 13th, and we'll be talking about that on the next episode, which will be out, hopefully, the 18th. The last thing we're discussing is Young Justice season four, episode 17, titled Leviathan Wakes. The first three episodes of this half of the season were dropped last week, Um, and this one what came out on Thursday the... So uh, the first thing came out on the 31st, this episode 17 came out in the 7th, and now the 14th we are going to get episode 18. Um, This episode really did a lot for (laughs) connecting things for me in my head, because I felt like there was so much going on, and this wrapped a lot of it up, so... Uh, we start off with the Atlanteans still protesting for Aryan's rule, so a group of delegates uh, of the ocean gather to discuss the situation. It looks like they are probably going to end up giving Aryan the crown. Meanwhile, uh, it is revealed that this version of Orm, who was in the past episodes, is actually a clone. They bring Magan down to scan his brain, and she talks to him, and what she finds out is that Vandal Savage created him as a clone. But not only that he created Arian as a clone as well as we learn this Arian gets voted in to be the new king of all of the ocean Uh, Turns out Vandal Savage killed Arian 12,000 years ago, and now he has brought him back to be Savage's puppet Uh, This new clone Orm was really just a diversion Deep, deep under the sea, Calder continues to bury all the pain that he's been through and his friend's worry grows. That He's out here with Lagan the fish boy, his boyfriend, and the other girl whose name I can't remember. But they're out there searching for the ancient Atlantean ruins, for the crown of the king, the true king. They find it super easily, honestly, but in taking it, they awaken, you guessed it, the Leviathan. They end up riding it out and arrive in the city just in time to hear the new king, Arian, address the people. Arian takes the crown from Calder and we see the scales of fate tilting away from him, tying all of this together at last. Surprisingly, though, fate ends up disapproving and Arian's body is torn to shreds, leaving only the crown behind, drained of power mara picks up the crown gives a little speech about arian being the false king and gives the crown to her husband orin uh, the true high king as she says but he ends up denying that saying that mara is the one who is the true king because out of the three who used their power to fight in the previous episode it's mara or i guess i say mira orm and Aryan the people Sorry, um, or sorry, the three of them, Mira is the most powerful and is the one who came out on top. The people agree with this, and so does the Council of Delegates. They call her High King Mira, Anax Mira. So, cool stuff. I love the female supremacy here. Oren, meanwhile, will go and reclaim his Justice League title. Originally, he says it's going to be alongside two other Aquamen, Kaldor and Lagan, who is finally going to be on the team. But then Kaldor decides that he needs to take a break. Finally, at last. Dr. Fate, meanwhile, comes to address the apparently beaten Vandal Savage. He says it never would have worked, but the Lord, that the Lords of Order are too powerful to have let his plan play out. Fate says that a new era for the universe is about to begin, one without Vandal Savage. Because he's, again, he killed Arian 12,000 years ago. He's been around for a minute. Um, Megan, meanwhile, clears the clone Orm's mind of Orm's memories and enslavement to Vandal Savage. They release him from holding as he is not evil and is just his own person now. The thruple, who is Lagan, and the two others, they have their baby, congratulations. And still, Connor wanders around the weird dimension that he's found himself in. He remembers all of his failures and then sees a school bus go by. His mind is fracturing and showing him memories, which brings up the idea that Wally likely was not real either. The episode ends, and over the credits, Kaldor addresses his losses starring the team, of which there are many, and acknowledges that he must come to terms with them before returning to his life. That is the end of this week's episode. It's a bit shorter, which is, I think, a good enough break for us all. Uh, the next episode is going to be coming out- oh, ho, oh, the next episode coming out is going to be the magic special- uh, April 27th is when New Mutants 25 comes out, and that's going to be kicking off, supposedly, a new era for Magic fans. Um, In preface to that, I am creating the April special edition podcast, describing everything about Ileana Rasputin, explaining her, her story, tip-to-tail, costumes, characterization. Um, Let me pull it up here really quickly and see what I actually have on it. Let's see, we have her key issues, suggested reading her roles, her teams, her family, her friends, allies, and frenemies, her enemies, controversial points because there's a number of them, alternate realities, noteworthy quotes, thank you Twitter, her looks, which she has several of, her character biography, the New Mutants movie, and a bonus section on Madeline Pryor, who is also expected to be a pretty big character in that same New Mutants arc. I also, on this special, uh, had remembered to actually put my sources in. Mainly my sources are just Marvel Comics, but there's a number of sites that I, um, a number being 1234, and one of those is just the Marvel fandom site that I use to find information about Um, fun storylines, cool characteristics, etc. Things that um, other people think that she is cool about and think is noteworthy about magic, so I could add those in as well. That'll be coming out either tomorrow the 13th or Friday the 16th, but it will be before the next episode, uh, the next regularly scheduled episode, which will be coming out Monday the 18th. (laughs) Woo! thank you for listening to whatever portion of the podcast that you were able to listen to today. Um, It is already almost mid-April and 2022 is flying by. I hope the month is going pretty well for you Um, and the year as well. It is spring. Things are warming up. The weather is nice. Soak up some vitamin D, get sweaty about things that you love, and try not to be a dick.